Welcome, beautiful people, to Camp Coaching. My name is Joel, and thank you for joining me as I break down the biggest gaming news from the week that was on the only podcast you will ever need. Uh, today is September 9th, 2019, episode 9. And for those that don't know, today is a very important day. It's the 20th anniversary of the Sega Dreamcast. I'm going to talk about that a little bit later in the show. But first off, I want to talk about Gears 5, which came out, well, Early Access came out last week for anyone that has Game Pass Ultimate or purchased the Ultimate Edition of the game, although the actual retail release is this Tuesday. Uh, gotta say right off the bat, this is one of the first games that truly, truly takes advantage of the Xbox One X. I feel like this is one of those experiences that you play and you say to yourself, how is it possible that a game can look this good i mean it's just absolutely amazing what coalition was able to do with the with uh, unreal engine i would say that this and red dead redemption 2 are the the two games that came out that for xbox one x that really truly take advantage of the system shows what it can do and truly makes you feel grateful for owning a 4k tv with hdr i mean that added to the fact that Gears runs at 60 frames per second. You know, I mean, not a single frame was dropped so far that I've been playing the game. I mean, it's just been absolutely amazing. The voice acting is spot on. The writing is great. The cutscenes are amazing. Uh, there are a lot of, I, I kind of really like the way that they blended cutscenes with the gameplay. Kind of gives you a moment to breathe put out the controller and, and get more into the story and then you know pick it right back up the transitions are amazing i mean the game so far i'm just I'm, I'm loving it you really see the step up from four to five and it it makes me wonder why they didn't speak about the campaign more it felt like when they were pushing this title especially throughout the year campaign was almost in the background especially in e3 where you know, Escape was shown off, and, you know, there's a lot of talk about Horde and multiplayer. I felt like it was weird that they can put as much weight on, on the campaign because so far it's just been amazing. It does things that no other Gears game has done so far, and I'm just loving it. Uh, I can't say the same about the multiplayer. Unfortunately, the multiplayer is kind of a mess right now. The servers just really aren't working well, although over the weekend, Coalition has done a great job of uh, updating fans on Twitter. Their Twitter is constantly updating with what they're doing, uh, constantly updating fans when we're telling them, hey, there's an update about the drop. Uh, this is, you know, uh, in order to fix some of the server issues, there's been a lot of issues with progression and stats. Uh, I, I've personally had issues with the campaign where uh, it, it, I tried to reload checkpoint after I died and it wouldn't, and it did lock up on me once. Uh, but these are issues that it looks like they're working on throughout the weekend, especially focusing on the multiplayer, because the multiplayer right now is kind of a mess. There are a lot of weird glitches where if you're in a group and someone else is the leader, I can't you know, choose what character I want uh, to play multiplayer with. So it's, it's, there's definitely a couple of glitches here and there, but it looks like Coalition has been on top of it and they're working throughout the weekend in order to address them, which is good because the game actually sort of isn't officially out comes out on tuesday the other thing that a lot of fans have been talking about gears is the way that they handle microtransactions which is there are a lot of 
items inside of their store which you can't unlock through gameplay i mean they do this thing called the tour of duty which are you know a, a bunch of challenges that you're meant to complete within three months and the challenges are like you know get 20 headshots you know win 10 15 king of the hill matches whatever the metrics are i can't really remember and then through there you rank up and you can unlock items uh such as skins for guns and uh, skins for the characters. But there are items inside of the store where you need iron in order to, to buy. And I think that the way the money works out, I think it's $10 for a thousand iron, if, if I'm not mistaken. But the items in that store, you can't get through gameplay. You can earn iron by going through the tour of duty. But I think even if you were to get every iron at every rank that it gives it to you, I don't think you can even reach a thousand. So it's kind of weird. And it seems like you don't earn iron kind of through every match. Um, I kind of understand a little bit fans' frustrations. But then I also look at the reasoning why Coalition has been doing this, which is selling a lot of stuff on that store that you can't unlock naturally through gameplay. And I think it kind of does have to do with Game Pass. The fact that a lot of people, including myself, are playing through this game um, and only paying a dollar or two dollars because of that deal that they threw out this year. Or even at a minimum paying $15 a month, which means that, or, or excuse me, $10 a month is just regular Game Pass. And you can um, you know, play this game for six months before you reach $60. And I feel like only those really hardcore Gears fans are going to... Um, buy the game for 60 bucks but i think maybe the way that coalition and microsoft looked at it is hey even if you're coming in at a dollar two dollars ten dollars to play this game maybe that'll encourage you to spend a little bit more because the game is a really good game but uh you know we'll have to kind of wait and see there really are no competitive advantages that you can buy in the store except for you can buy boosts which uh, allow you to uh, rank up a little bit faster but even that i wouldn't call it a competitive advantage but this is something where I, I trust that Coalition will balance out the market a little bit more because, yeah, the prices right now don't really make sense. I think there's a pack of gun skins for like 25 or $35, so the pricing just doesn't really make sense right now. But the game just released, so you know it's something that fans is going to have to sit back and wait a little bit longer um, and see if, if Coalition addresses the way that they're um, handling the microtransactions. Um, so that's pretty much what I've been playing um, throughout the the weekend, pretty much. I play a little bit more of Astral Chain, but I haven't really been able to get back to it. And then with Borderlands coming out this week, I'm not really sure if I'm going to um, go through Astral Chain for a little bit of, of time. Uh, so let's get right into the news. Before we start, um, there was a teaser that actually dropped um, this morning for uh, Resident Evil Project Resistance, uh, which was teased, or excuse me, not teased, but leaked last week, some images. And the game pretty much, it, um, Capcom released a about a minute 30 teaser trailer where it shows um, four players kind of almost like a co-op uh, PVE, except the enemies seem to be controlled by a separate player. So it kind of looks like it's a sort of a 4v1 where one player can control... Um, what enemies are actually thrown at the four uh, players. Um, and then it looks like you can actually control the enemies, which seems pretty interesting. Control liquors and things like that. I think that sounds pretty cool. Um, but we're going to get more details as uh, Tokyo Game Shows this weekend. But from that teaser, that kind of does look like what it is. 
Um, so we'll just have to wait this weekend for, for more details. Now, Nintendo had a really, really big week uh, with Nintendo Direct and a bunch of various announcements that, that they made. Um, now, Nintendo is still the king of this format. Like, we've seen PlayStation um, kind of try to emulate this Nintendo Direct formula. But there's just something about the way that Nintendo does it that no other company can really touch. The way that these 40 minutes are used, the pacing of, of these directs is just amazing. It just really can't be touched. So I want to go through some of the announcements and speak about them. They gave us updates for Luigi's Mansion 3, Pokemon Sword and Shield, and Animal Crossing New Horizons. I got Outside of that, they announced a few games that dropped the same day. This kind of is becoming a little bit of a mainstay of the nintendo directs is making an announcement and something releasing right after which normally i like but when i saw this these announcements i kind of felt like wow it, it seems like there's so many um quote unquote i call them hot drops but same day drops that i feel like some of the items might get uh, a little bit lost in the shuffle but they released a free-to-start game called Super Kirby Clash, uh, which is like a four-player uh, Kirby game. I haven't personally been able to try it. Um, they also have Deadly Premonition Origins, for those that have never played it. They announced a sequel, which I'll talk about in a little bit. Divinity Original Sin 2 was also also released the same day. An update to Tetris 99 called Tetris 99 Invictus. And then two demos, one for Demon X Machina and another one for Dragon Quest XI S. So all of that released the same day as the Direct. And I think it's a really, really good way to kind of have the world market your game for you is by dropping it same day, letting word of mouth carry it, letting social media and people on Twitter carry um, the spread of this game actually coming out immediately. So I think it actually is a, is a good mechanic. They also finally confirmed uh, SNES or SNES Online. This was something that's been rumored for a little while. That it launched September 5th. They also uh, confirmed that SNES wireless controller that we heard about through uh, leaks. I think it was the patent leak where uh, people were kind of assuming this was going to happen. Uh, if you're a Switch Online member, you can order it. I don't think the orders have gone up just yet, but I think you're able to order up to four per account. Uh, the other thing that they didn't announce during the Direct, but is something that um, was kind of quietly put into the Japanese website, was that NES and SNES games will not be released monthly. It's just going to be a quote-unquote irregular release rather than every month, um, which I, I found kind of a little weird for them to make that move, um, especially with now introducing SNES. The library is so big that I feel like it would be great to be able to have games monthly and be able to rely on a new release, but looks like um, they changed that for whatever reason. It's going to be a little bit more staggered. Uh, whenever I think about Nintendo doing these retro releases and you know updating them with online play and you know um, uh, what do you call that feature, like the quick save feature, the rewind features, and all that stuff. I kind of always go back to, you know, I think N Nintendo is the best company to be put, in a, put themselves in a position to do a retro arcade and a quote-unquote retro Netflix where, you know, you're charging people an extra, you know, $10 a month to access, you know, hundreds of NES, SNES, 64 games. Um, I really wish that they would just kind of jump in with both feet when it comes to something like that. And I, I can see other 
you know, third-party developers being interested in doing something like that, you know, Konami, you know, putting Contra Alien Wars into that market um, because it's, you know, you're looking at new revenue and new fans um, to purchase these games that are, you know, pretty much completed. They just have to be re-emulated and tested and all that, but all the work has really been pretty much done, so I kind of wish that they would lean into that instead of this quote-unquote regular release i wish it would just kind of blow it out um but uh kind of doesn't seem that that's the way that it, that they chose to go but they do have already 20 snes games and it's at no additional cost if you're a nintendo online member it's just it's just there which is pretty cool now um switch's holiday lineup is just stacked i mean they announced so many things, and I kind of wanted to go month by month the announcements that they made, uh, just to really talk about um, that Nintendo's really delivering on the promise that they made before the Switch came out, which was they kind of really wanted gamers to have a regular stream of games coming out um, every single week, and they've been able to accomplish that, especially with indies and and the power of the eShop, and you know even things with the Nintendo Online, with the NES and the SNES. Um, the drop of those free games like Tetris 99, they've been able to really, really keep their promise. Now, September, we have Damon X Machina, which actually comes out uh, this week on the 13th. Grid Auto Sport, September 19th. Devil May Cry 2 was announced, um, being ported over to the Switch as September 19th. The issue with that is that it's 1999, just like the original Devil May Cry, uh, which came to the eShop not too long ago. Still don't understand this pricing strategy by Capcom because... You can get the HD collection for PS4, PC, Xbox One. You can usually find it for twenty or thirty bucks, and that includes one, two, three. Uh, excuse me, one, two, or three. Excuse me, one, two, and three, at high definition. So I, I just don't understand the appeal of, you know, right now it would be forty bucks just to earn, just to have one and two portable, and it not be the high definition. I, I, I'm not just not really understanding why anyone would go for those. Uh, Nino Kuni, Wrath of the White Witch, comes September 20th. That's the same day as Zelda Link's Awakening. That's the same day as Nintendo Switch Lite. It's the same day as that Untitled Goose game that's finally uh, being released that a lot of people have been looking for. They announced support of Star Wars Jedi Knight 2, Jedi Outcast. That's September 24th. That's also available on the PlayStation 4. And then rounding out September is the, the 27th, you have Dragon Quest XI-S. And Nintendo's still, still sticking... Uh, to this point of being the go-to machine for RPG fans, the go-to machine for um, uh, obviously not just Nintendo titles, but uh, the go-to machine for indie games just because of the the portable nature of, of the machine. And I think them kind of putting a lot of attention and kind of eggs in that RPG basket is really going to pay off for them. Because I feel like Nintendo understands that when it comes to RPGs and putting time in, there's a lot of benefit to be able to take the game anywhere that I want to go and just, you know, grind for 30 minutes to an hour. So a lot of people, are, I think, are really going to see the appeal of that. And Dragon Quest XI-S at the end of this month is, is, is a big title. Now, in October, you have Call of Cthulhu, October 8th. Witcher 3 Wild Hunt Complete Edition is the 15th of October. I personally still can't believe this game even exists on the Switch. It looks pretty good. I'm not sure exactly how it will run, but it looks great. They also confirmed October 15th is the release of Overwatch Legendary Edition. 
as you all know, there was a leak um, for Overwatch case um, last week, and this kind of just confirms that it's happening. It does have motion controls. Uh, one issue is that for me personally as an Overwatch fan, uh, I started Overwatch on Xbox, then I moved over to the PC, which is, you know, there's no argument. PC is the definitive edition of, of playing this game. But the Switch version actually runs at 30 frames per second. The Xbox and uh, PS4 versions run at 60. So I feel like that's going to affect the game a lot when it comes to um, kind of playing competitively. I mean, there really is no local play for Overwatch. So it really is just six on six. So this game is really not portable in my opinion i just can't imagine playing this game on the nintendo switch screen i mean you would have to be connected to wi-fi but there really are if, if you don't have access to the internet this game is useless to you there's really there is no single player or offline version or anything that you can actually play offline now there is a physical edition but it's actually just a code in a box but that box comes with three months of nintendo switch online and 15 bonus skins i think those skins you can get even if you download it i'm not sure if you get those three months though so i mean it's great to see overwatch coming to uh, another console especially switch i think they will find um their own group to go out there and, and buy this game but i can't imagine anyone that already owns any other other versions going out to buy this simply because there really is no advantage to buying the Switch version. Your frames have now just been cut in half. And it's I feel like it's technically not even portable because, you know, you still need to be connected online in order to play it. Um, also in October, we have October 16th, Little Tom Hero, which is uh, made by Game Freak. Vampire is coming to the Switch October 29th. And then the Game of the Year, Luigi's Mansion 3, October 31st. Of course, that's Game of the Year. There's no argument there. Now, November, we have Mario Sonic Tokyo 2020, Just Dance 2020, November 5th. 15th of November is Pokemon Sword and Shield, and then Doom 64 is November 22nd. December, we have Farming Simulator 2019. Assassin's Creed Rebel Collection was confirmed. That includes Black Flag and Rogue in one box, but that's December 6th. And then there were some other releases that really didn't have a date. Fall 2019, we have Return of the Obra Dinn, which was a critically acclaimed title that came out on PC and consoles. And then Dauntless finally coming to the Switch in 2019. They also confirmed that Outer Worlds, once again, is in development for Switch, but we really don't have a date. And then stretching into 2020, they just have a lot to look forward to. They ported over Tokyo Mirage Sessions FE Encore to the Switch January 17, 2020. This is something that I expect Nintendo to keep doing there were a lot of great games that existed on the wii u and unfortunately because <clears throat> of what happened to that game excuse me what happened to that system there are a lot of gamers that missed out on a lot of great titles so i could see them porting over a lot of their old uh, library from the the wii u which they've been doing so i kind of hope that they continue doing this i Hope that they actually port over Super Mario 3D World. I think that was a great uh, Wii U title. So that's January 17th. So you're, you won't really be waiting that long until the new year to, to try um, Mirage Sessions at the Encore. Animal Crossing, of course, The Beast comes out March 20th. Trials of Man Mana Remake is April 24th. Deadly Premonition 2, A Blessing in Disguise drops 2020. That was announced during the Direct. It's actually confirmed to be a Switch exclusive at launch. The developer confirmed that um, it will only be 
released for Switch when it first comes out, but they're not discussed in any other consoles. So I'm sure it will come to the other consoles at some point, but it looks like Switch has a timed window. Um, and then they ended it by um, announcing Xenoblade's Chronicle Definitive Edition in 2020. Once again, just really leaning into that uh, RPG machine, which I think has been very, very successful for them, and I expect them to continue uh, that throughout the year. Hopefully they can... Um, work this year especially to get more and more third parties to release uh, RPGs onto the system because I think that's really where they they will live. If you're a gamer that has a choice between buying the game for console or Switch, if it's an RPG, I feel like definitely more uh, players that own multiple systems will get it on the Switch, which will be big for them. Uh, another game was announced by Hi-Rez. It was a developer Smite uh, called Rogue Company. Um, their kind of synopsis of the game is as a rogue company, mercenary players will grab their weapon of choice and dive into iconic locations to compete online in various PvP game modes. Along with Switch is coming to PC, Xbox One, and PlayStation 4, and then they confirm cross-platform play, which is pretty good, but really not much to go on when looking at the uh, at the game other than it's a PvP title, but you know this is the first that we're really seeing in it. Outside of that, there was a lot of Smash news, Banjo can and Kazooie was released the same day. Um, they confirmed Terry Bogard from Final Fight was announced for November 2019. Um, I, I, One thing I love about Smash for me is just the reveal videos. I really love the reveal videos that Nintendo does. It really sucks when these leaks happen because the way that the leak video was shown was kind of going through all these famous SNK characters and you kind of miss that moment as a fan of watching it and as it's going through kind of trying to guess okay who is it that they can put into this game because you know as soon as the leak started as soon as the video started you knew it was Terry Bogart because of the leak so um I, I you know a part of me just really hates that um there's people that work within Nintendo that um you know just think it's cool to you know tell these other people to publicize these leaks uh, because it, it just ruins the experience. So I can understand Nintendo's frustration when it comes to that. They confirmed also that there's more DLC fighters being developed be developed past the fifth character. It's not yet, yet announced. The strongest rumor is that that fifth character is Ryu from uh, Ninja Gaiden. But obviously nothing is confirmed. I think it's just insane that they're you know still developing these fighters. It shows probably that these packs have been selling really, really well. But I think it's amazing to see how Nintendo is taking these characters and, you know, uh, moving them into or, or being able to make them fit properly into this, you know, Smash universe that's been created. I think it's really amazing. Um, but it's funny because when I when I saw that announcement, I said to myself, I wonder how fans would have felt like those really core Smash fans if uh, Sakurai would have said. You know, I can confirm that the fifth character will be the final uh, DLC character that we um, create for this game. I mean, you're talking about a game that has, you know, countless number of, of characters in the game. But I feel like somehow fans would have still been absolutely disappointed and would have definitely thrown shade and hate on Nintendo if they didn't announce that they were making more DLC characters, which is, which is pretty crazy. Um... They also confirmed that Home Run Contest was coming back, new me costumes, Golmon, uh, Proto and Zero from Mega Man, Team Rocket from Pokemon, and then the Showstopper, which was Sans from Undertale. 
Um, not coming as a character as some people wanted, but coming in as a Mii Gunner costume. Um, so Nintendo had a uh, really big start of the week when it came to the Nintendo Direct. I mean, every time I watch these Directs, I always say, man, these companies are just doing such a great job with these Directs. Um, they always come with enough news to, number one, make you feel um, better about your purchase of the Nintendo Switch, kind of justifying that purchase that you made, and then equally making you excited about what's coming in such a short window of time, we're talking about within the next three to four months, um, you have all these unique experiences coming to the console. So Nintendo's definitely doing it right, um, and it's something that Sony and Microsoft just still haven't learned from. Now, they also make another announcement. They announced something. It was kind of a, a, a teaser for a um, what I perceive to be a some sort of fitness title. It... Um, show different families and friends from around different parts of the world look like they're playing mini games with some sort of a flexible ring and a leg strap uh, that uses the uh, the Joy-Con. Um, so maybe this is Nintendo's Switch Fit or whatever they um, are going to call it. We're going to find out September 12th, I believe, exactly what this is. So, um, you know, Wii Fit sold over 22 million um and uh, that was kind of a little bit lightning in a bottle because Nintendo kind of came in at the beginning of that fitness boom. So they it, it kind of really was one of those titles that dropped, you know, right was at the right place at the right time. We Fit U sold only about a million, but obviously, you know, We Fit U isn't, you know, the banger that we and Switch are. So it's kind of obvious why that really didn't do very well. Um, but for them to introduce a um, fitness game at this point in the cycle makes a lot of sense, and it probably is going to sell really well, especially if they, you're looking at something, November will probably be a good release for this. Um, I think that's a good window of time um, compared to what's dropping that month and you know how busy September is going to be for Switch. November will be a good time to drop something like this and you know have it obviously blow up during the uh, the holidays. Now we move on to our next story, which is um, Valve and the Epic Game Store. Speaking to Kotaku, a Valve developer said that a particular comment about the Epic Game Store was not meant to be a lightning rod. As we all know, back when the Metro Exodus was announced as an Epic Game Store exclusive, Valve said that the move was unfair to Steam customers, which honestly I actually agree with. It, this is... Metro Exodus, I feel like Metro Exodus and Shenmue 3 were the only two titles that made that move from Steam to an Epic exclusive that I felt, yeah, that's it's a little bit late in that in their cycle to make that sort of announcement, especially for something like um, Shenmue, which was crowd, crowdfunded and was crowdfunded from the very beginning that, hey, this game was coming to Steam. So I sort of understand why people will be upset. But especially with the way that Epic has been handling it for these developers, where Epic pretty much um, told the team behind Shenmue, like, look, if people want refunds, we'll take care of the refunds. You don't have to worry about anything. Just keep working on the game, which is, it shows, you know, how much Fortnite money is, is in that safe at Epic Games. And um, the rest is history, of course, when it comes to what's been happening with the Epic Game Store. Steam business developer and designer Nathaniel Blue said, I don't think that was our intent to upset people. It wasn't the intent of the message. It was more about the timing. The game was about to launch. 
obviously speaking about Metro Exodus, and then it was exclusive to the Epic Store, so that was the only goal of that. What came out of that was not what we expected. It wasn't meant to be a lightning rod. Um, for those that don't know, this year watching gamers complain so much about having to download a new launcher to play a game that they want is one of my favorite things that has happened in the year 2019. It brings me so much joy every time I go onto Twitter and, and I, I, I read through all these comments of people being angry, um, you know, not having to buy a new system to play a game, but having to download and install a new launcher, which I actually recently installed the Epic Game Store launcher about a month ago because they were giving away Alan Wake for free and they're still giving away pretty good games every week. Like Inside was one of their most recent releases, which is great. Took me about five minutes uh, to download and install it. I still, <laughs> I still laugh. I still don't understand the hate and just the anger that comes from these developers making what really comes down to a smart financial decision. If I go to this store, I get a bigger cut of this game that I'm creating, especially when you hear stories coming out of these smaller companies, these smaller teams, which pretty much say, hey, if it wasn't for the deal that we made with Epic Games and the ejection of cash that they gave us to make it exclusive, we probably wouldn't even be able to deliver this title that I'm sure you fans would want to play. And it's pretty crazy that we're in this timeline where teams and developers have to explain why their titles are becoming exclu an exclusive and basically in order to avoid harassment. When the developer, uh, one of the designers behind Oddworld came out um, with the announcement that they were an Epic Store exclusive, he really had to preface that announcement by saying, hey, let me tell you why we made this decision, kind of in an effort to um, stop people from harassing or stop even the beginning of that harassment that's happening. And honestly, I've never seen fans of video games because you, most of these fans are complaining or not complaining on you know using a blanket in terms of complaining about Epic Game Store versus Steam. They're complaining individually depending on whatever game became an Epic Game Store exclusive. For example, like Borderlands 3, which comes out this week, that became an Epic Game Store exclusive. Usually what you're hearing, the, the hate and the anger is coming from fans of the game, not fans of um, you know Steam. These are Borderlands 3 fans that for some reason feel like they need to play the game on Steam for these arbitrary reasons. Whereas the only difference is that two things. You have to get a new launcher and more money now goes to the developer of the game that you love and really, really want to play. And I've never seen fans work so hard not to give their favorite developers more money. It just doesn't make any sense to me. All of the reasons that I've read that Steam is better than uh, Epic Games are just ridiculous. Like Epic Games is just starting. When Steam first started, it definitely didn't have all the features that it has. One of my favorites is when people say that, well, on Steam you don't have game reviews, as if you know social media and and Reddit threads don't exist for you to go discuss games and 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 talk about them outside of the actual store where you're buying it from. It's the most ridiculous, disgusting thing that's been coming out of the gamer culture 
lately or pretty much with this year as as humorous as i find this whole thing the the fact that people can become so triggered uh from just being asked to download a, a brand new launcher there's a part of me that can understand if a company decides to take a franchise that has been exclusive to one console for such a uh, a large amount of time and decide to bring it to another system like i get the anger that would come out of that i get if you know naughty dog decided to make uncharted you know the next uncharted whatever it may be what's the number we're up to five uncharted five for the xbox one i i understand that frustration if you're a fan of that franchise because now you're being asked to purchase a whole new system all these developers are saying like hey this cash injection that we're getting not only just that but we're going to get more of your money in order to you know fuel future projects all you have all we're asking is that you download a different launcher and i don't think they're asking for too much you know one example about something like that is cyberpunk 2077 if you go to um, good old games, I think that's what the uh, website is called, GOG.com. If you purchase Cyberpunk 2077 from them, 100% of your money goes to CD Projekt. So if I'm, um, I, I personally am thinking of getting Cyberpunk for a PC, I have to build a new PC, but it's something I've been thinking about. Um, and I have a lot of time since the game doesn't come out in April. For me personally, I look at it as like, well, I'm buying this game for CD Projekt. I want to support this developer. I love what um, they've been doing, what they did with Witcher, and now what they're doing and what I'm seeing from Cyberpunk. Why wouldn't I get it from GOG.com in order to give 100% of my money and make sure that it goes straight to the people who are making the game? just doesn't make any sense to me. Stop fighting so hard um, to give the developers for the games that you love more money and in a and a, a a fairer cut of the profit that they're making from the game that they spent years creating. Now, before we get to um, our main story, I want to quickly touch on NBA 2K20 because it, it was really trending today and yesterday. The hashtags fix NBA 2K20 and fire Ronnie2k. For those that don't know, Ronnie2k has sort of become a little bit of an impromptu face for 2K, a little bit of a connection between... 2K development and the fans. He's the director of the sports business operations of NBA 2K, and now fans are asking that he be fired. Apparently, he promised features that were not in the final game, such as being able to respec your creative my player as many times as you want, um, which is not actually true in the final version of the game. Other issues that people have been complaining about: uh, online server issues, corrupted save files, weird glitches. Um, there seems to be a weird progression glitch that a lot of people are getting, uh, characters being erased. Um, and then obviously a lot of people are talking about how heavy the microtransactions are. So here's the thing that a lot of fans need to uh, realize. Number one, it seems that uh, Fixed NBA 2K has been trending for the last few years every time a 2K game comes out. I remember it happening last year with 2K19 heavily. It's happening once again now with 2K20. The one thing that fans need to remember and realize if you're a 2K fan is 2K is the parent company is Take-Two, which um, Take-Two is definitely a company that doesn't hide the fact that their end game is money. And they want to fill up these games with as, with as many microtransactions as they can. They want developers to find as many angles um, to get fans to spend more than just the $60 at launch. That's that's their game. That's their play. You're not going to be able to change that. 
the only way you're going to change it is to stop yourself from buying these games at launch. Now, the funny thing is, is that whenever something like this happens, 2K just doesn't care. Take-Two does not care. They don't care about your complaints. They don't care about um, how heavy those microtransactions are because at the end of the day, they can um, stuff it full of as many... I mean, they don't even hide it. There was a, a, a trailer where there was literally like a person cheering because they're, you know, pulling a slot machine, for example. Um, they don't care simply because 2K19 as a model probably proved to them that, hey, we're actually pulling a lot of money with these microtransactions. So let's go a little bit heavier. And at the end of the day, they can go as heavy as they want. And if you guys complain, what they'd rather do is... Um, Instead of starting at 1 and ramping up to 5, they're going to start at 10 and then ramp it down to 7. So you as a gamer feel like they were listening. So they'll go like, oh, you know what? Yes, it's true. We're going to lower prices, blah, 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 blah. But those prices probably still balance out the sheet that they were expecting to make within the quarter. Like it's all a game and the end result is always money. So these hashtags and all that stuff, you guys can do as much as you want. But the only way, the only way to really affect change with when it comes to Take-Two properties and what's happened with NBA 2K, you got to not buy the game. And it's sad to see, especially for a day like today, the 20th anniversary of the Sega Dreamcast, where NBA 2K started and the fact that NBA 2K has been able to do a yearly game year after year for 20 years and just to see... The damage that the brand has done to itself by heavily monetizing the game as much as they have just proves that they don't care about the fans' desires. They care about the end result, the end result being, of course, more money. Now, before we move on to the story of the week, I want to talk about our sponsor, Audible. Audible from Amazon allows you to listen to books anytime and anywhere. Click the link provided in the episode description to try Audible completely free for 30 days. You also get two free audiobooks of your choice. Great thing is you can keep the two audiobooks even if you cancel the free trial. So basically, just start the free trial, download the two books, cancel the free trial if you want. You still have access to Audible for 30 days, but you still keep those two um, audiobooks forever after the 30-day trial is over. Please click the link. Supports the show. Supports what we're doing. Please consider giving it a try or, you know, even if you've already had Audible in the past, you know, find someone else that has an email and tell them about it um, to go through the link that I provided. It definitely does help the show. Now, the big story of the week that I wanted to speak about is actually Pokemon. I wanted to talk a little bit about Pokemon because last week a couple stats came out about the recent release of Pokemon Masters and uh, Pokemon Go. And I thought, when I saw these stats, I thought it would be a great time to talk about Pokemon in general and the upcoming release of Pokemon Sword and Shield. Now, um, there's a company called Sensor Tower, which um, they uh, are a provider of market intelligence and insights for the global app economy. So they aggregate data. And this data that they aggregate, you know, it's not exact like they don't have access i i don't think they have access exactly um the number of downloads but they because of the data that they aggregate it's a pretty good indicator of how successful uh, a mobile game has been so pokemon uh, masters launched on ios and android that was on august 29th uh actually only took four days to rack up more than 10 million downloads 
And Sensor Tower estimates that Pokemon Masters earned $26 million within those seven days. The other major milestone that Pokemon reached um, in August was Pokemon Go had its fourth highest grossing month in the game's entire history. Now, the only three months where it earned more was July, August, September of 2016, which were the months immediately following its launch. So for them to have the fourth highest grossing month three years after the game came out is a pretty significant accomplishment. Now, in terms of global revenue, Pokemon Go was the fourth highest earning game in the world in August. Now, behind them, it's all other mobile games, Honor of Kings, Fate, Slash Grand Order, and PUBG Mobile. Now, Sensitile puts the game's revenue for August 2019 at $110 million worldwide. That's a 44% increase over its total just a year ago in August 2018. So, obviously, this mobile um, success story that Pokemon has been able to weave just continues and continues to grow. And it shows, obviously, the impact of the decision that they had bringing Pokemon over to, to mobile. And obviously, Pokemon Go when it first released was a lightning rod, right? Every, it seemed everywhere you went, uh, especially here in New York, everyone had their cell phone out. Old, young, man, woman, boy, girl, everyone had their cell phones out playing this game. It was an absolute phenomenon. But that doesn't last. And it's important for a developer to keep engagement going. So it's pretty amazing that three years later, they're able to rack up $110 million worldwide. Now, the average revenue per download, um, Japan is still the best. They, they average uh, $45 revenue per download. The U.S. is approximately $10 per download, which is still is significantly high even at 10 bucks For every download, someone's spending $10 here in the U.S., that's pretty, pretty good. Now, with the success of these mobile titles, I wanted to talk a little bit more about Pokemon Sword and Shield and the re what, what this release has meant and what this announcement has meant, meant for fans this year. Now, for those that don't know, Pokemon is the highest grossing media franchise of all time with $90 billion in total revenue. And that's media franchise. We're not talking about video games. We're talking across the board. To find the next video game franchise on that all-time list, you have to drop all the way to 8th place. And that's actually where Mario sits with an estimated $36 billion. So that's $90 billion versus $36 billion. Now, most of the money that Pokemon makes is off licensed merchandise. That's $61 billion. Video games is $17 billion. Card games is $10 billion. Box office, uh, close to $2 billion. Manga sales, $1.46 Home entertainment, a little bit under $1 billion. So the big money that they're making is off of licensed merchandise, not even video games anymore. And it really, when you when you break down these numbers, you begin to understand how important Pokemon's mobile business will be to the future of the company because the more people learn about Pokemon, the more people that will purchase their licensed merchandise which if you didn't know licensed merchandise such as you know toys and plushes and things like that have a way higher margin than video games and that's where pokemon is trying to move their company is they really are trying to continue working on making poking excuse me not just pokemon but pikachu 
a global mascot. That's why you, you know, we see Pikachu in the Macy's Day Parade, for example. Um, they really are trying to push their, their licensed products, plushes, action figures, and toys, all of that merchandise, a lot more than just the video games or thinking outside of that box. Now, uh, obviously, Pokemon grew up on Nintendo's mobile systems. For the Nintendo 3DS, uh, at the end of April 2019, uh, the top 10 games sold in the lifetime for Nintendo 3DS, uh, Pokemon actually occupied six of those spots, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, and 10. That was Pokemon XY, Sun, Ruby, Moon, and Sapphire. Pokemon Let's Go sold more than 10 million copies in about three months. So Pokemon, when it comes to their video games, they've still been extremely, extremely successful. Now, some things changed a little bit when it came to the announcement of Pokemon Sword and Pokemon Shield. There's been a significant backlash. Um, hashtags were trending, big, bring back the national Pokedex or hashtag bring back national decks. The Treehouse Live gameplay video that... Uh, was done during this year's E3 on YouTube is still sitting at over 86,000 dislikes. Um, you know, a lot of fans are unhappy that not every single Pokemon will be available in Pokemon Sword and Shield. Now, this was something that, in my opinion, was kind of eventual. Like, this had to happen at some point. Pokemon was the, the they messed up on their point by creating an expectation for fans, um, that this is the way that Pokemon mobile games always will be. No matter which Pokemon game you buy, you'll be able to have access to every single Pokemon we've ever created, which I think right now sits at uh, over a thousand uh, different Pokemon. So the decision to cut down the Pokedex makes sense, but the problem is that the fans aren't accepting it because it goes against what they've come to expect. The other issue with what, with what happened was that Pokemon tried to explain why they didn't have all the Pokemon. Uh, and the reason they gave was that it was in order to improve animations and expressions of the Pokemon in the gallery region. Uh, I quote uh, Junichi Masuda, the total number of Pokemon has exceeded 1,000, including new and existing. As a result, it's become extremely difficult to make Pokemon with a new personality play an active part and to balance them both in terms of graphical quality and also in terms of battle. He says, I wanted to be able to bring all Pokemon if I could do it, but it was also a decision I had to make someday. In the end, I had no choice but to choose quality. The problem uh, that most fans are seeing, and even people like me that are not fans of the game, is that there is no quality over quantity. The game um, decreased the quantity of Pokemon, and the quality is pretty much the same. There really aren't changes in animations. Is According to Pokemon, they didn't reuse old assets, but it's painfully obviously, painfully obvious that they did. It, you just you can't come out with a line like that, and then you know the footage just um, completely it, it kind of exposes the lie as it actually is. Because when you look at the footage, it's very very clear that the animations just really aren't there. You know the graphics aren't there. The game is obviously not taking full advantage of the Nintendo Switch. And it's it it's painfully obvious that Pokemon Sword and Pokemon Shield was a game that started on the 3DS and it was brought over to the Nintendo Switch. There's just no way that this game was built from the bottom up for the Nintendo Switch. I 
personally just refused to believe that that was the issue. It looks like this game was built for the Nintendo 3DS. Switch was coming, and then they decided to port it over. And during that port, they didn't want to just scrap everything and start all over. Now, the issue right now is a lot of fans are angry with the way that Pokemon has been handling this. And if you look at Pokemon Sword and Pokemon Shield, unfortunately, it just really does not look... Uh, not only does it not look like a Nintendo Switch game, it doesn't even play like a Nintendo Switch game. And, you know, you could say that we as fans of Nintendo and Nintendo Switch are a little bit spoiled by the likes of a game like, you know, you see a game like um, The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild, or you look at the fact that The Witcher 3 now exists on the uh, Nintendo Switch. We understand the power that the system has. We understand what's capable of it. And it's obvious that when you look at this game, it's not really optimized for Nintendo Switch. It does not take advantage of it. Um, Pokemon decided not to refresh the franchise. And the reason why is because Pokemon had sort of become a bottom line company. Like they're just, they're just thinking about the bottom line. They're not thinking about, um, Hey guys, let's, let's, this is going to be our first Nintendo switch Pokemon title. We finally have the power that we've never had before. What can we do to really bring fans a brand new experience? And what's sad is that this was Pokemon's opportunity to refresh the franchise, which I feel that Pokemon is in desperate need of. The thing about Pokemon is that it's one of the few uh, video game franchises that sells extremely well to both adults and kids. And because of Pokemon as a franchise and the fact that, you know, you have the cartoons and you have these um, licensing agreements that really speak to children and kids, this merchandise, you're able to bring in um, new blood into the franchises, which are basically kids, and you're able to retain the same adults that grew up playing this game. Now, the one demographic that Nintendo is missing is people like me, which are people that did not grow up playing this game like yes i played red and blue and yellow but i just was never a fan of pokemon personally because i'm just not i was never really into turn-based games that kind of changed as i grew older but i just really wasn't into the turn-based system and every time a new pokemon came out i just wasn't the person that really wanted to invest the time into playing that game and they won't get people like me until they refresh the game now if nintendo were to do an open world game where you encountered pokemon and you know naturally you know in their in, in their proper ecosystems and you know you walked around in a world that felt similar to breath of the wild and felt as open and free then i would probably pay a lot more attention the issue is that the money is not with me the money exists with the people that grew up playing Pokemon and the kids who don't know what a game like this can be capable of. Adults know it, right? Adults can see this game and 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 see the animations and see how stiff the Pokemon are and the the terrible draw distance and the fact that um, I think the Pokemon's name is Wingull. I remember watching the gameplay and watching Wingull, and it just it looks like a drone. The the the, the wings are completely stiff. They're just kind of floating in place. You know, Pokemon are popping up out of the ground. 
Pokemon are not interacting. This is not what we've come to expect from games right now where we live in the year 2019, especially what we've seen the Switch is capable of with games, once again, like Breath of the Wild. And even Dragon Quest is coming out for Nintendo Switch, which has this amazing draw distance. And it has an environment which, you know, feels lived in, you know. And Pokemon is just not really interested in putting more money into those assets. And it's terrible to see because, once again, we're talking about the biggest media franchise, $90 million. And this is a decision by them because they they realize something throughout the years, which is, we really don't have to put too much work. We don't have to scrap these animations. We don't have to restart assets anymore. Now, it's not uncommon for companies to reuse old assets. That's extremely commonplace. But you'd be hard-pressed to play a game like Super Mario Odyssey and then put it next to Super Mario Sunshine and be able to say, wow, it looks like they reused the exact same assets as they did for Sunshine. It's very hard to be able to... Um, come up with that argument for something like Breath of the Wild. You can't play Breath of the Wild and then feel like um, mechanically it's very, very similar to the last 3D um, Zelda game that you played. When you play Breath of the Wild, you know that you're playing a Zelda game that cannot exist on any other system that came before it. Unfortunately, when you play Pokemon Sword and Shield, you're met with a game that you feel could absolutely exist in a generation before. It just would look even worse than it actually looks now. The issue, once again, is that Pokemon has become a bottom-line company. Now, the real test for Pokemon is what their next Pokemon Switch game is. Because, like I said, this game just blatantly looks like it was a 3DS game that was ported over. And if it isn't, that's even way more embarrassing. So every Pokemon fan has a right to be disappointed. And I'm still surprised at how many Pokemon fans still defend this game. And that's what Pokemon is banking on, is those gamers that just still just want a new experience, want a new system to play this game on, that they will 100% forgive the fact that you know there are no water effects, there are no ripple effects. Um, Pokemon just pop in and out. Um, you're still moving on a grid system. You still move in this game like this is, you know, Resident Evil on the PS1. Um, there is no freedom. You know, there are still invisible walls in this game. Um, they'll forgive all of that just to kind of have a new experience. And unfortunately, the game is going to sell. I mean, you look at Pokemon Let's Go, so 10 million in three months. The install base for Nintendo is even greater. Now we're talking about um, at the end of this month, you're going to have an even cheaper Switch at $199.99. There also will be a special edition Pokemon version. You, Pokemon is still going to sell what they expect to sell for this game. And honestly, they just don't care. They don't care about those people that are complaining and are saying they're not going to buy it. Honestly, most of the people are still going to buy this game. The changes that they're making or they're supposed to make for this game in order to refresh it once again it was a perfect opportunity for them to say hey in this pokemon game we're actually only introducing 150 but it is an open world living environment you know and it, and it is a brand new experience they would have been able to sell that game a lot easier than the way that they're doing it now um but unfortunately that's not what pokemon is worried about pokemon is worried about the money that they're making 
And unfortunately, what they're seeing right now is that Pokemon Mobile makes them way more money than they can ever make when it comes to a Pokemon game for a console. There's no royalty fee to pay to, to, to Nintendo. It's definitely a lot lower. Um, you know, there's no packaging. There's no shipping. There's no worrying about retailers. Um, you know, Apple and, and Google do take their cut, but it's obviously you get a bigger chunk of that profit than if you're trying to sell a $60 game where the profit is probably about 20 to 25 each um, one time. You know, I'm, I'm making $20 or $25. Let's be generous. Let's say, let's say $30 revenue for every copy of Pokemon Switch, and then that's it. I sold that one copy, and that's all I'm going to make. Whereas I can give away a game for free, and a person can, can uh, make me off of one download. I can make an average of $10 a month. That's the revenue that they're looking for. And if you don't think that that's where they're going, you know, Niantic started, Niantic, the company that made Pokemon games, started, Pokemon Go started in October 2015. That company is now valued at over $4 billion. Nintendo and Pokemon are both investors in that company. Kenji Okubo, who is the president of the Pokemon Company International, actually sits on the board for Niantic. Now, it's weird that people still don't understand why Pokemon Go even exists. Like, yeah, Pokemon Go is a great game. It's, um, it's, uh, but it's a game that sold, if you remember correctly, Pokemon Go, when it was first sold, was sold as a quote-unquote fitness solution. You know, if you think about every time Niantic spoke about it, one of their lines was, you know, oh, we're getting kids to get up and, and get out their house and walk around to different poke spots and things like that. The reason why they sold the game that way and they encouraged people to, you know, uh, fitness, go out and, and, and walk, be healthier, you know, it, it wasn't just, um, hey, because we care about kids and we want them to not sit on the couch all day. It was to aggregate fitness data to sell like the Pokemon Go is a data gold mine. I mean, you're talking about being able to aggregate fitness data for for kids, for youth, which is something that a lot of other companies are not able to do. You know, Fitbit, it's very hard for Fitbit to get a, you know, Fitbit on a 12 or 13-year-old. But you do it with Pokemon Go, you're damn right. <laughs> You'll be able to get that fitness data. So you, you realize a lot of health companies now are offering incentives for companies to get their employees to wear Fitbits. I mean, are we far away from um, companies such as, you know, Best Buy offering a health incentive for their health um insurance to their employees for playing Pokemon Go a few days a week or something like that. Could I see that happening? Hell yeah, I could see that happening. You know, earlier this year, when Pokemon announced Pokemon Sleep, I was just laughing the entire time because a bunch of memes started coming out about, oh, Pokemon Go and Sleep, Pokemon Sleep, haha, it was like this big joke. And I look at it, I'm like, don't you guys see what Pokemon is doing? They literally want your sleep data. That's exactly why this game does not exist to, a, you know, they sell it as like, oh, we want to improve the way that you sleep. You know, we're going to show, you know, how much you toss and turn and we're going to give you uh, tips on how to sleep better. Bullshit. All that is bullshit. It's a mask. It's a way for them to get your data as you sleep and sell this data. And if you don't think this data is valuable, it is absolutely valuable, 100%. And you're aggregating anonymous data from, once again, teens, from kids. This is a demographic that 
is not really um, does not really output as much data as 30 and 40 years year olds that actually wear Fitbits, for example. Or, you know, there are sleep apps that you can download on your phone where you actually put your phone underneath your pillow and it can detect, you know, how much you toss and turn. And that's not just for a benefit of helping you understand why you're losing sleep. It's also a bunch of anonymous data is being aggregated for you to sell. So it's not just that Pokemon is looking at the front end of how much money that they're making on microtransactions for mobile games. They're also looking at the back end of all this data that they're aggregating that they can legally sell because it's right there in the terms of service. Your data might not be attached directly to you. You know, it's kind of encoded so that, you know, data point AB1237 may be my data and it's anonymous, but at the end of the day, it's still aggregated and is up for purchase for other uh, companies. And it's right there. You you accept it. You allow them to do that. Um, as soon as you start up Pokemon Go and you start these what they call quote unquote fitness challenges and things like that, all of that is manufactured to to gain more data. So because of this, this is what Pokemon is moving towards. They they're moving towards this mobile landscape because they understand that there are more phones out there than there are Nintendo Switches. And when we release uh, a, a game, it's easier to release it worldwide. It's easier to get players playing longer and for more because you don't always, you might not always have your Nintendo Switch, but you always have your cell phone with you. It's the decision that they're making. So when you look at something like Pokemon Sword and Pokemon uh, Shield, and you try to ask yourself, why is it that it seems that, you know, I, I wouldn't use the term lazy. They're not, you know, developers of Pokemon are not lazy. They just understand that they can get away with it. You know, like you look at, you know, one example of like Team Yell, for example. Team Yell was introduced to Pokemon. I mean, you look at the design and the fact that every male and female member of the team looks exactly the same. Why? Because it saves time and it saves money. Pokemon has the assets. They have the money to build a team. They have the, the they can get the time to um, make these games and push them up to another level. The problem is that they know that they don't have to. They know that they can create these games, they can release them, and fans will still gobble them up. I remember the same thing happening with Pokemon Let's Go when it was announced, and fans saying that they weren't happy with it because it was like a Pokemon game light. You know, it was a Pokemon game that didn't really seem catered to the core. Ten million in three months. Pokemon doesn't care what you think. Pokemon does not care about your hashtags. They just don't. Because they know that you're going to buy the game. And if you don't, they're going to get some new kid that doesn't understand the difference. That doesn't understand what Pokemon could be. You know, the way the animation should be. The fact that when a Pokemon attacks, there should be actual contact. When, you know, Charizard uses a move, the fire should come out of his mouth, not out of his forehead. You know, kids don't care about stuff like that. The adults that grew up with the game do. But Pokemon doesn't care about you, bro. And at the end of the day, they're making the money that they need to make. And that's what I find most interesting about Pokemon. I really hope that at some point um, it is true that this Pokemon Sword and Shield was a port. And the next Pokemon game is really the one that's built from the ground up for Nintendo Switch. But 
I wouldn't hold my breath. I just really wouldn't. Um, but hopefully they they they'll they'll make a turn. But uh, I don't know. This week's hot releases we have Greedfall September 10th as PC, PS4, and Xbox One. Walking Dead Telltale Definitive Series also comes out the same day, and Gears 5 is the official release, is September 10th. The 12th, we have The Sinking City finally coming to Switch, and then the 13th, we have the Switch exclusive Damon X Machina, NHL 20, and the big banger of the week, Borderlands 3, coming out PSC, PC, PS4, Xbox One. Reviews are out for whatever reason. Um, Borderlands 3 review codes were only sent to U.S. publications, so a lot of people felt that was kind of weird. The reviews seem to be... Um, strong but they all seem to have a, a similar thread which is hey if you love borderlands this is more borderlands if you didn't love it there's nothing new here for you so it seems like they stuck um a little bit too close to that formula for me a, a, a fan of borderlands especially the first one i'm gonna gobble it up but it's unfortunate to see that they could have but they didn't push the envelope very far when it came to this release Thank you so much for joining me. Before I sign off, I want to quickly talk about the Sega Dreamcast and the impact that the system has had on gaming. 20 years, uh, 9999 was the release. I absolutely love this. This is episode 9, uh, dropping on the 25th, uh, excuse me, the 20th anniversary. The Sega Dreamcast will always hold a place in my heart. It's my favorite video game system for a few reasons, but I remember the first time I played it. Um, it was when NBA 2K had released, and I believe it was, it was a month after the game had come out. And a cousin of mine purchased it. I didn't get it. My mom was definitely not going to get it for me. It was just, it just frankly, it was just too much money. And went to my cousin's house to play, and I remember watching NBA 2K and just being blown away by the graphics. And then uh, he also purchased Soul Calibur. Playing that game, the moment I played Soul Calibur, I was like, I need to, to buy this system. And... I remember the next summer I, you know, worked at a supermarket. I, I packed bags all, all summer. I uh, made deliveries um, for, for, for purchases. I took up odd jobs. I, you know, right near the supermarket I used to pack bags was a bodega. In the back of that bodega was a, a pool table. I learned how to play pool. I used to play doubles with a friend of mine that used to pack bags also. We would kind of make bets and hustle kids for money and all that money that I made, um, you know, I kind of pulled all of that together and that's when I purchased my uh, Sega Dreamcast. And I think that's why the system, I always hold it near and dear to my heart is because it was the first system that I bought with my own money. Like it was mine, you know, it was the first system that I purchased for myself. And that's outside of all the amazing games, that I, you know, Obviously, uh, Jet Set Radio, uh, Crazy Taxi, Soul Calibur was amazing on there. He, you know, Shenmue, Marvel vs. Capcom 2. Um, how can I not talk about Power Stone, especially Power Stone 2? Um, it was just a, a system that was so ahead of its time. And I still absolutely love 20 years later. I feel like you still feel that impact, even though it wasn't a success and it sort of, I guess, led to the downfall of Sega's hardware division. Um, the fact that it, it really was that first system that you could play online, playing Fantasy Star Online was amazing. Um, you know, it was the first system that I remember even doing voice chat. I remember playing Alien Front Online. And back in those days, you could, 
there wasn't real-time voice chat, so all you could do was record five seconds of your voice, and then five seconds later, you would hear that five-second video clip, uh, excuse me, audio clip. Um, it just had a lot of firsts. The VMU, the you know, the memory unit, the fact that you could take it with you and, and grow your, um, I don't know, I pronounce it Chao or Kao or Kao or whatever you choose to pronounce it from Seneca Venture 2. It was just an amazing system, man. It, it just really, really pushed the boundaries. And, um, yeah, it's just happy 20th anniversary to the Sega Dreamcast. You know, it's just, I still look back at the system and I love it. I remember those times and still definitely my favorite console of all time. So thank you so much for joining me. Please follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Please support us by um, considering signing up for Audible. Um, next week should be a good week. We have uh, Tokyo Game Show this weekend, so that's what we'll be talking about next week. Once again, I am Joel, and I'll see you guys next week.